Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be here with you and to be in this position of sharing God's Word with you this morning. I, uh, I can't see any clock. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to make a few remarks before we get into our sermon. First of all, I want to say before you all how much I thank God for my family here and, and all that they've meant to me and to my wife Elaine over these uh, the two years we've been here and even before that and especially at this time of change. And then I want to thank you all in the church for your prayers for us in this time of change. It's uh, not an easy thing after uh, being together for almost 60 years to suddenly be separated, for her to be in a, uh, the nursing home and for me to uh, be like a bachelor again for the most part. Continue your prayers. It's taking time for Elaine to settle there and uh, for me to get used to this single life kind of. But uh, there's, when I think of almost 60 years together, I certainly can't grumble and give much thanks to, to God for that. Uh, in, you'll be interested to know when going with her to the chapel service at Good Samaritan in Pipestone last Sunday, they had a, a kind of a apprentice pastor. He'd just come out of seminary and he shared with us. And guess what he was pressing us all to do? To know, grow, and go. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, before we go, in, go into our sermon, I just want to make a few comments. I won't be touching on all the passages and verses in Scripture to do with this subject of conquering evil in the time of temptation. Uh, you, you'll have heard quite a lot in the years gone by from the pastor, and also uh, Travis shared with us from, the, uh, from Ephesians 6 about the uh, weaponry and the protection we have as Christians. So I won't be touching it that much. Uh, my hope is that there will be something for everybody to take away, and it may differ from person to person. Uh, but uh, I'd like to think that from every service, something you can take at least one thing away to put into your Christian lives, and that way we can always continue to be growing. So. Uh, be on the lookout, not just this service, but in any way, everyone, for something to take away that's spe specifically a blessing and a help to you. Let's open with a word of prayer. O oh Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, as we think of this subject, I thought we should start by thinking of the background that we're in, the, that we have to face in, in fighting evil and doing good. 
And uh, we live in a certain kind of territory. You probably can guess it. It's, it's enemy territory. Uh, there are some things that God does that we don't fully understand, but it seems that Lucifer was one of the three archangels and was cast down with, because of his pride, his desire to be equal with God. And it seems he was cast down to the earth and became the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, acknowledged by Jesus himself that Satan had that hegemony and suzerainty. Uh, you remember in Jesus' temptations, the one that if he bowed down to Satan, Satan would give him all the, the kingdoms of the world. Now, that wasn't a vain claim, and Jesus didn't challenge it at all. And when you think of it, it was a real temptation. Jesus could have got the whole world in his hands in a moment, but there would never have been the cross, there would never have been the atonement. He had to go the hard way. Well, we're in Satan's territory, and he's not happy with us being here. He's not happy with God's bridgehead and his kingdom pressing its perimeters out further and further as souls are saved and communities come to know the gospel of God. Satan is not happy for that, and he hinders it at every point. We are in enemy territory, and we have to remember that. And the second thing is, there's something we have that we haven't lost. We still have the remnants of the old man in us. Uh, when I was in university at one time, for a short period, uh, I thought that the old man had been rooted out from me. It didn't take long for me to see that he was still there. And that's, in a sense, an unfortunate thing we have to live with, not completely free of that old tendency in us to, to do those things that are, that are wrong. And that's what uh, Satan uses. Us, uses. Uh, I, I, I think, try to think of it this way. What's that influence on us? How, do, how does it work? It's, it's like when you're driving a car and your front... Uh, right tire either gets a flat or it loses 10 to 20 pounds of pressure. And you know it starts pulling you over and you have to put some effort into the steering wheel to keep going straight. I think Christian life is a bit like that. There's this old man trying to pull us onto the shoulder and it's a soft shoulder mind you. Uh, to, to make a mess of our lives. And we have with God's strength to keep the steering wheel straight or it's like a strong wind coming from the side. And so we have to watch that and not go into the soft shoulder. <coughs> it's a long time since I preached, so these good things kind of happen. Uh, but that, that's what we battle with all the way along, with the old man. But praise God, we have a new man. We'll touch on that a bit later. Well now, things from God's word that can help us. Uh, we have a lot about people in the Bible, the good and the bad. The good people who sometimes did bad things, like David. And those who pressed through, like uh, Joseph and 
when he had a strong sexual temptation, fled from it, uh, not to fall. And uh, these, these are examples that were told in the scriptures to help us, to warn us against the bad, to encourage us to do the good and to have the victory over sin in our lives. Well, with a number of things and a number of scriptures I'd like to refer to, and the first is uh, things that we can learn from God's word that will help us, and it's a repentant heart repasts sins, but what kind of a repentant heart? And I'm saying it's an ongoing or continuing repentant heart. I want to read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret this kind of sorrow, but sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. Uh, in the... Uh, King James Version, it says, repentance that has no repenting. And I think that puts it clearly. clearly. When you think of repentance, if you try and think of the last time you committed a sin and then you felt convicted about it and you turned to the Lord and asked for free, free forgiveness. And he offers it, he promises that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness. But, but what happens when you're tempted to do the same sin again? Have you any recollection of, of your repentant feeling at the, the time of the previous sin? Is it an ongoing repentance? Or have you say, oh, well, God has forgiven me now. That's the past. In a sense, it is the past. It's dealt with. He will deal with it every sin you commit, even if you commit the same sins again and again. But that, that doesn't please him. We need to have ongoing repentance, ongoing sorrow for what we've done before that will help us when we're tempted again to have that same repentant attitude towards this sin so that we don't do it again and again. Uh, if you have an habitual problem with the sin, this is something that will perhaps help you. And then... Another meaning of sin is we're doing something to the absolute laws of God. And that is we're breaking the laws of God. I'll read uh, Genesis. No, that's sorry. I've, I've missed out number two, haven't I? A literal recognition of God's presence with us. You remember Jacob and uh, the ladder? Then one, uh, Genesis 28, 16. Then Jacob woke up and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. The recognition of God's presence with us, literally. I wonder how much that means to us. One of our well-known Preachers of the last century in England, a man some of you may know of, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was saying, if we really believed Jesus was with us, if we really believed 
in God's presence with us all the time, that would make a big difference to our lives. And it's worth reflecting on to think like when you're in, in your family setting, how you're talking to each other, behaving and, and so on. And does that change at all when you have a visitor? Often it does. Uh, or if you're sitting in front of the computer or watching the TV on your own and somebody comes in, is there a quick shift of channel to, to, to give the right impression? Well, that shows that we're not really taking seriously the presence of God. Jacob discovered God was there. He is wherever we are. In, in a sense, Jesus is in heaven, but also... He's with us wherever we are. So try and imagine when you're tempted that Jesus is standing right there with you, literally. Well, you can't see him, but he is actually there. And that's something we have to come into, uh, to make our own, the reality of the presence of Christ in our lives. Now then, look, let's look at... Uh, what sin actually is, some of the things that the, the Bible tells us about sin, and realize what sin is. If we do this, it will help us when we're tempted uh, to, to call it what it is. Uh, first of all, it's uh, uh, independence of God. And we see this right away in the, in, the, in the Bible with Adam and Eve. They knew exactly what they had to do and what they had not to do. And yet they went ahead and ate the fruit and their eyes were opened and they were ashamed when God came to visit with them in the garden. And of course, it, it, it ruined everything. Now, when we look back, we can say, well, it's Adam's fault that I have this sin nature. But when I think of it, do you think you would have done much better in his place or her place? I'm not so sure we'd have done any better. But... Uh, that's the reality of it, that the, the natural thing to do is be independent of God. And this comes out in the times of temptation, that we do something we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. And then it's a, the breaking of the absolute law of God, 1 John 3, 4 and 7. Those who sin are opposed to the law of God for a sin opposes the law of God. Uh, we often get up in arms when we see the law of the country not being followed and not being put into effect. We should be just as jealous of God's law, most more so when we see sin in other people's lives and in our own lives because we are breaking the laws of a holy God and that's a very serious matter. It's also spoiling our fellowship with God, Isaiah 59.2. But there is a problem in your sin. There's a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Well, now, of course, in, in the unbeliever's mind, that's, they are cut off from God. But there's a sense in which when we sin, there's a cloud comes between us and God. And the fellowship is not what it should be. It's not as clear and as powerful as it should be. 
it's spoiling fellowship with God when we, every time we sin. And then uh, the next feature of sin is that we're acting in contradiction to the new nature that we have received at conversion. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very well-known verse. What this means is that those who have become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore. For the old life is gone, a new life has begun. And here we have a, a word also to non-Christians, if you're a non-Christian hearing this. Don't try and tinker with your life and try and improve it uh, and turn over a new leaf and try and make yourself better. That's not what conversion is. Conversion is repentance of what you have been to God, handing yourself over, accepting the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for your sins. You can't pay for your sins. Christ can, and God accepts what he does for you. And that's, that's humbling, but that's what you have to do to become a Christian. And then you can be a new creature, as we're talking about here. And so when we sin, we're really negating that new nature which we've been given in Christ, at least for the moment. So it's acting in contradiction to our new nature. Another uh, feature of sinning is that it is doing something with the enemy. It is cooperating with the enemy. John 13, 18. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know so well each one of you I chose. This is Jesus speaking. The scriptures declared, the one who shares my food has turned against me. And this will soon come true. What a sad time for our Savior to think of Judas doing that to him. And it's cooperating with Satan, which is what he did. And uh, if you think of yourself in the battle for Jesus against Satan and his forces, it's a terrible thought that when you sin, you're actually laying down your sword and maybe stepping over and fighting for the other side. Who would want to do that? It's a terrible thought that sin is, is that kind of a thing, cooperating with the enemy, changing sides for the moment. And then it's doing something to a friend, our friend Jesus. It's hurting a friend. Let me read it. John 14, 21. Those who obey my commandments are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And then Luke 22. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. This was at the time of his denying he knew Jesus. And as soon as he said that, these words, the, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked on Peter and going down a bit, and Peter left the company and crying. Just imagine how Jesus felt when his prophecy about Peter came true. He turned and looked at Peter. That must have been a very hard uh, thing to look at for Peter, and it struck his heart. He had hurt 
a great friend. So those are some of the things that uh, we can think about when we're tempted to sin. Uh, terrible things, all of them. And, and certainly a loss to us and, and a loss to Jesus when we fail him in those ways. But anyway, we've got some very good and positive news. Uh, next one, 1 Corinthians 10.13. This takes me back to Billy Graham's campaign in London, 1954. And uh, these were some of the verses that they encouraged us all to, to remember. And it's a, a good encouragement for our Christian lives. But remember that the temptation, temp, temptation, temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. That's a tremendous encouragement to us all. There's always a way out. Now, the way out may not mean that you escape from the temptation or the trial or difficulty. Uh, that, that may be the case where God just lifts you out of it and, and you're, you're off and away. Uh, there are other times when he's taking you through some testing, but he gives you the grace. So I think the, the provision that he gives is not escape from the difficulty, but the escape from defeat in the difficulty. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, that great faith chapter, some of the stories there are the amazing stories of the lion's den and, the, and so on, where people are delivered right out of those situations. And then the other group are those who went through them, some of them facing terrible deaths and experiencing those. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't give in. They didn't betray their God in those times. There was a way of escape. And it's a great comfort, I think, when we are tempted to realize that because, and that, that we don't have to give in. God wouldn't allow that testing to come to us if we're walking with him, if it were beyond us. It's a bit like Job and the testings that uh, came to him from the devil. The devil threw everything at him, but uh, he lost the, the wager with God. Job never did curse God. He cursed about everything else under the sun, but he never cursed God, which was the wager. Uh, God wouldn't have allowed that to come to Job if he knew Job couldn't, couldn't take it. So there's always a way of escape and then uh, we must see what J James says about temptation. Uh, James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. Now, I think uh, in the authorized version, they, it uses the term uh, conceived. Sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. And uh, I think the writer, under inspiration, 
is using a, a simile or a metaphor of, uh, of uh, impregnation, of fertilization. And I, th I get the picture here that uh, Christians are like uh, virgins with the capacity to be impregnated and to bring forth uh, babies. Now, having said that, they don't have to do that. They can reject, the, to put it politely, they can reject the embrace and stay virgin, stay with the, the ovum intact. Satan wants to impregnate that, that that's in us, that could respond, that could be lowered, so that sin is conceived and sin is, act, is, is acted on. So that's a challenge to us, as it were, to remain spiritual virgins and reject the attacks, the embrace that Satan wants to come to us with to conceive that sin. And by protecting ourselves with God's power, that, that, can, that can, we can have the victory. And then we must acknowledge that it's our responsibility to reject evil. Well, it's, yes, I, I guess I've covered that in that, that one, rejecting Satan and his, his wiles. Uh, next, we must positively de determine to be only Christ's slave. Romans 6, 22 and 18. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. We have exchanged one slavery the slavery of Satan to that of Jesus. And verse 18, now you are free from sin, from your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. Nobody is entirely free, they're slaves of one thing or another. The world gets it wrong when they look at us Christians, I believe. They look at us and see all the rules they think we're meant to be keeping and what a restricted life that is, what a slavery mm. that is. And they think they're free, whereas they're slaves to sin, slaves to habits. And if they were honest with you, they'd say often they wish they could get rid of them, but they can't. But slavery to Christ is, as the prayer book of the Church of England says, whose slavery is perfect freedom. We're free now to be the kind of people we were designed to be in communion with God, under his direction, doing his will, effecting his work in this world. That, that's the real freedom. And we're real people that he intended. And those who have everything else in the world and don't have him really have nothing. It was said of old, he who has God and nothing else 
has everything, but he who has everything else but not God has nothing. And we've got God, and we've got, and his slavery is perfect freedom. And then don't do something about your body and your mind. Don't allow your body or your mind to be used by evil and by Satan. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Do not let sin control your life. Do not, do not give in to its lusts, lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to God since you have been given new life. Accepting the responsibility and then not allowing our bodies, our minds to be used by Satan. We, we need to have that mindset ahead of time. I think sometimes we're caught off guard by Satan and we find ourselves doing the same things we've done before. We really need to have a mindset ahead of time that when such and such a temptation will come to us, such and such a te testing, we will do this, we will stand firm in God's power and not allow our body or our mind to be used by evil and Satan. And then Romans 8, 12 and 1, Satan has no claim or hold on you and my, me. So, dear, uh, verse 12 first. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. And Romans 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. I'd like to spend just a minute or two on, on this verse. Now, it's true in terms of salvation, if you're truly saved, there is no condemnation. Christ has carried the burden, is carrying the burden for, for you, for your sin and its punishment. And he did that so admirably, so lovingly, so willingly, so completely. At Calvary, there is no condemnation. And while that's true, I don't think this is what, that is what this verse is teaching. Uh, as you read through the Romans, that the matter of salvation and so on, uh, the comes in the, the earlier chapters. And when we come to chapter 7 and 8, we come to somebody who is battling with the law. And I think Paul is only supposing himself back in that situation there. And he says, uh, oh, this body of mine, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes on to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 is going into that. There is now, therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it talks about what the law couldn't do, now could be done. Uh, Paul himself knew he could overcome sin as a new man in Christ. Uh, interestingly, when I was in college, our chaplain, we had a good chaplain, uh, he, he found out somebody who'd done uh, quite a bit of research in Greek and he'd, he'd uh, researched the, the Greek word for condemnation. Katakrima, I don't know much Greek, but anyway, that's the word, katakrima. And he discovered that one of the common uses of this word was for a mortgage. 
Now that's interesting, uh, using a word for mortgage in the Bible. Uh, and yet it, it gets this idea that, you, you know, if you have a mortgage, and I have a mortgage, uh, you, you don't have that property completely free to do what you like with whenever you want. The bank or whoever loaned you, has loaned you the money, they have a hold on you. If you don't pay in time, they'll, they'll foreclose on you, you'll lose it. And I think that's what the inspired writer here is, is talking about. The, the devil has no mortgage on you, he has no hold on you, you have no obligation to him at all. You're completely free. That's a wonderful thing. And we're not obliged to do his work and do uh, commit sins that he's tempting us to do. So let's try and remember these things. I trust that at least uh, you can go away with one thing and it will be a blessing and a help uh, in your life as you, as you seek to please God. Let's have a word of prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for the tremendous privilege we have of being your children, of being adopted into the family of God, of being princes and princesses in the royal family of the King of Kings, and the privilege also of sharing your good news as ambassadors to people in darkness. Help us, Lord, to fulfill our obligation, our privilege in these capacities, and help us to uh, be very wary of any temptation that comes to us that we will stand firm and not allow Satan to have any power over us. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. We pray for any who are listening this today if they do not know this to realise just how blessed they can be if they turn their lives over to you accepting the precious death of our Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf, knowing that you will receive them as your children and into heaven. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv. 